Again, good morning. So as we said, the topic for this morning's service is, what is truth? And with truth, like many things, there's many layers or connotations, many definitions, like with meditation. Meditation is described as concentration used to know God, and yet the highest definition is of meditation's communion with God and many definitions in between. And the same is true of truth. There's many layers, many connotations, many aspects to truth. And truth is found in the great scriptures of true religions, in the words of saints and avatars, of wise men and women. But in its highest sense, truth is God, as Gandhi said. God is truth. And it's, as we said, it's found in many, there's many layers. Great scientific inventions, discoveries, are a manifestation of truth. Great works of art are a manifestation of truth. But ultimately, truth is God. God is truth. And there is but one God who has been called by a multitude of names throughout the centuries through different religions, but because there is one God behind all those names, behind all the dogmas, the rituals, the rites, the ceremonies, it's true that all the world's true religions, great religions, are based on the same universal truths, and they, they do not conflict with each other. In fact, they support, reinforce one another. And that's one of the aims and ideals of Self-Realization Fellowship, is to demonstrate the underlying unity of all true religions. But through the Kali Yuga, the Dark Age, outward religious practices of the masses throughout the world have gone, undergone cycles of progress and cycles of degradation. And Lord Buddha, for Gurdjie explains in Lesson 45, that Lord Krishna, of course, had come and through the Gita had given the world a very uplifting, positive understanding of religion. But through the descending age, it was lost to misunderstanding, misinterpretation. And so Lord Buddha incarnated in 563 BC to write some of the gross abuses of truth perpetrated, as Guruji said, in India by priestly pundits. Buddha restored the heart of religion. And which had, as we said, degraded into priestly practices of rituals, ceremonies, mechanical ceremonies, and so forth. But with the passage of time, as happens in a world of relativity and delusion, Buddha's doctrines fell prey to limited understanding, misinterpretations, and so forth in the Kali Yuga. His teachings degenerated into a nihilistic philosophy, the state of nirvana, which is equivalent the same as samadhi, oneness with God, communion with God, was defined as extinction of the self, nothingness. Buddha meant extinction of deluded ego, of the pseudo-self, which must be overcome so that the real self, the eternal self, the soul, can achieve liberation from the repeated cycles of human incarnation. And this perversion of Buddha's doctrine 
with its emphasis on that negative state of nothingness, extinction, was later supplanted by the teaching of Swami Shankara, again, to write, bring back the heart of religion. And his teaching taught that the goal of life is a very positive attainment of ever-existing, ever-conscious, ever-newly blissful state of oneness with spirit. And in the autobiography of a yogi, Paramahansaji wrote, Truth is no theory, no speculative system of philosophy, no intellectual insight. Truth is exact correspondence with reality. For man, truth is unshakable knowledge of his real nature, his self as soul. So to get to truth, we can understand it, the mind can understand aspects of it, but it can't be fully understood through intellectual exercises. That's why Guruji, in Autobiography of Yogi, he talks about going within, realizing truth. The whole path, this path, is based on experience, realization. In Autobiography, he quoted an ancient Persian proverb, which reads, Seek truth in meditation, not in moldy books. Look in the sky to find the moon, not in the pond. And a new student to Self-Realization Fellowship once felt it was possible to assimilate Paramahansaji's teachings strictly through deep study alone, without practicing meditation. And in correcting him, Paramahansaji told him, the perception of truth must be a growth from within. It cannot be a graft. It's realized within, applied without. The world tends to seek it without. But it, the perception of truth must be a growth from within. And truths are not truth unless you realize them within. Without that realization, they are merely ideas. And it's because of the fact that truth is realized and experienced within through soul intuition that the ancient science of Raja Yoga from India's higher ages is being revived through the instrumentality of the SRF YSS line of gurus through Kriya Yoga meditation. It, the world is always changing. It is a new world in this ascending age, and we must mold ourselves to the change. And that's possible through meditation. And Guruji says, an absolute necessity for each one of us, for the world going forward, is the recognition of the divinity of all mankind and as a result of that realization of that seed of divinity in each person sweeping away of all this divisive barriers. Guruji wrote in Lesson 45, India's sages had no interest in identifying themselves with, with denominational names and forms. They sought the ultimate truth, asking, what is the science that will help me to find God? What is that, knowing which, I shall know all. They maintain that it is not important to profess belief in a specific sect or denomination of religion. It is important only to know that method for contacting God, to know the science that will give us that realization. Only through that realization can we realize that divinity of all mankind, and only then can we sweep away all divisive barriers. And he goes on, he says, we should heed nothing but the religion of God 
which is truth. Let us make up our minds to follow the truth. Then, as Jesus said, the truth shall make you free. In modern religions, as we said, have become so engrossed in dogmas, rites, rituals, and ceremonies, and not in realization, not in soul or God realization. And Hinduism is often categorized as India's religion. But in the beginning, Hinduism was non-denominational. It degraded into a denomination. But Guruji said the correct name for India's religion is not Hinduism, but Sanatan Dharma, which translates the eternal science of truth. And he said, a scientific spirit is very necessary in religion, for religious dogma is destructive to the human spirit. So in many places, but in that lesson 45, Guruji outlines how to realize truth. In it, he says, first must come the desire for truth, then follows the application of the process, the science, the techniques, whereby it can be attained. The very basis of this process is found in the guru-disciple relationship. That is, the blind cannot lead the blind. Only one who knows God can teach us how to realize God within and without, in all people, in all conditions. He goes on, he says, you can rouse God only by your love and desire to know him. If your heart is ready, if you are desirous of knowing God, and if you continuously march toward spirit, then you will meet a real guru. Once a true teacher has been found, if you follow him or her with due reverence and with open eyes, you will save yourself years of otherwise wasted time. For no one can lead you to God unless they have first found God. He goes on, he says, It is not my purpose to show the supremacy of any particular religion, but to give you self-realization, which will reveal truth wherever it is. Self-realization fellowship does not claim to monopolize truth. SRF teachings show you how to discover for yourself the truth in every great religion. Do you see the beauty of that? If you are a follower of one who follows truth, you will know by your own self-realization, not merely by dogmatic belief, that you are a child of God. Truth is marching on, and creeds and dogmas that are not founded on truth are dissipating. Creed is no longer sufficient. The hive of creed must be filled with the honey of realization. Self-realization fellowship teachings show you how to realize the truth that underlies all great religions and to understand that truth is one. In the final analysis, real unity among mankind can come only when people of all faiths test their beliefs with the touchstone of self-realization and keep only those beliefs that stand the test. The fires of meditation will burn away to dross dogmatic beliefs that are not based on truth. And that's in keeping with one of the things that really attracted me to this path when he said, don't take my word for it, don't take anybody's word for it, meditate, prove to yourself through your own realization the truths in the scriptures, the truths in the words of the saints. And he concludes, he says, we are all children of the one God, the source of all contentment. 
time has come for us to find him through realization of the soul. This is the teaching of India, that we must know and practice the techniques, the science that gives self-realization before we can know God. And India has sent these self-realization fellowship teachings to show you how to expand your consciousness to receive the infinite wisdom, the infinite love, the infinite joy of God, the infinite truth. And again, it, just about every talk he gave, every talk recorded in the compilations of his talks, Divine Romance, Man's Eternal Quest, every lesson, he emphasizes this. We must realize God. We must realize truth from within. Again, from Lesson 19, he said, Remember that Self-Realization Fellowship instruction is not a matter of belief. It is a truth that you experience within yourself. So again, that search for truth begins with the desire for truth, the desire for God. And then it's first built on that foundation of right behavior. Shri Yukteswar's first words to Guruji when he joined his ashram, learn to behave. And in his eightfold path of yoga, Patanjali, the first two steps are yama, niyama, right behavior. Ten eternal rules of happiness correspond to the Ten Commandments in Christianity. And all the Veda-based systems of Sanatan Dharma, of which yoga, the Yoga Sutras are one, consider the magic of that right behavior, of moral purity, expounded in yama and niyama, to be the indispensable foundation for sound spiritual investigation. Guruji said, the personal demand of this right behavior, these eternal, eternal rules of happiness, he said that the, this personal demand, not insisted on in the West, has bestowed lasting vitality on the six Indian disciple disciplines. And India has gone through cycles of progress and degradation in religion, and yet this truth and these techniques, this science of religion, has survived, and it's because it's of this, the magic of this right behavior, yama and niyama. Guruji wrote, the cosmic order, Ritta, that upholds the universe is not different from the moral order that rules man's destiny. He who is unwilling to observe the universal moral precepts is not seriously determined to pursue truth. So it starts with that desire for God, that desire for truth. And then it's built on that foundation of right behavior. And then we multitask beyond yama and niyama. We could look at the 26 ennobling qualities of the soul that make man godlike, that Lord Krishna delineates in chapter 16 of the Gita. And we could look for ways. How can we manifest this? How can we practice this in our daily life? Every minute of our lives can be used to find God. If we're conscious of these things, how am I going to apply yama niyama here? How can I manifest this, these ennobling qualities of the soul? And again, we're multitasking. All, this, all the while, we're establishing that habit of daily meditation to realize within truth. In Divine Romance, Paramahansaji said, there is a definite way to experience God. And what is the way? It is scientific experimentation with religious truths. It is possible to put religion into practice, to use it 
as a science that you can prove by experimenting on yourself. The search for truth is the most marvelous search in the world. Instead of being merely a matter of attending a Sunday service or performing one's puja, religion must have a practical side. Learn how to build your life around spiritual ideals. Without practical application, religion is of little value. You can only know about the flavor of an orange after tasting it. You cannot know what it is really like by listening to a talk about it. So it is with truth. If you do not make an effort to know truth, to perceive it beneath the veils that hide it, you will not discover your own real nature. So one of the yamas is truthfulness. And truth and truthfulness are often used interchangeably. So I thought it would be of value to spend a little time elaborating on truth in the form of truthfulness. And one thing Guruji talks about a lot is when speaking truth, manifesting or using tact and diplomacy to be able to, so our audience can hear it. And there was a family, and they were having Sunday dinner at grandma's house. And the family had a little boy, I don't know, five or six, his name was Johnny. And they were all sitting around the dinner table, and the food was served, and Johnny started digging in, eating right away. And his mom said, Johnny, please wait until we say our prayer. And he said, I don't need to. And she said, of course you do. We always say a prayer before eating at our house. And Johnny said, that's at our house, but this is grandma's house, and she knows how to cook. <laughs> It may have been a fact, but Guruji would say, that's not truth. <laughs> In Divine Romance, he said, to be always truthful, we must understand the difference between fact and truth. And he gives an example. If we meet somebody who has an obvious handicap, we don't bring up, we don't highlight that fact, that obvious handicap, that may hurt the other person, may offend the other person. He explained, you are truthfully pointing out his or her defect may only hurt, may, only do, may do no good. Therefore, one should not speak unpleasant facts unnecessarily, even though they may be true, such as mom's cooking challenges. <laughs> He says, this is from chapter three in Divine Romance, Practicing Religion Scientifically. It's a great chapter. He said, truth is always wholesome. Fact can sometimes be harmful. However, however true it may be, a fact that goes against good is only a fact. It is not truth. Never reveal unpleasant facts that cause meaningless suffering to someone else, such as speaking out unnecessarily. So truth is knowing the right thing to say, knowing what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. So again, that our audience, our target audience can receive it. We say it diplomatically. Tactfully. And since, again, we're talking about realizing truth within and then manifesting it without, and again, it's not an intellectual exercise. It's not, we can realize aspects of truth through the mind, but it's realized through soul intuition. And so I thought it would, again, be helpful to share Guruji's guidance on how to develop, how to cultivate 
soul intuition. And he said there's three types of intuition. First is that latent intuition. And common sense is a manifestation of latent intuition. And discrimination, good judgment, are manifestations of that latent intuition. Conscience is a form of latent intuition. The second form is semi-developed intuition, which develops by frequent but unconscious exercise in any one field. It could be business, it could be a hobby, or some new skill, anything else. But again, you're just directing, you're learning concentration, you're learning mental discipline, and that helps develop intuition. The third, consciously developed intuition, which is, we'll go through many ways to consciously develop that, but the most powerful, as we said, is meditation. So, he gives six ways to develop intuition. The first is exercising and applying common sense, as we said. Applying discrimination, good judgment, listening to our conscience. As we use that daily, we're strengthening that muscle, and it's expanding, and it's expanding our intuition. And he says that, that in doing that, it manifests as a good way to develop it is anticipating the needs of others. A good way to develop it is practicing consideration and thoughtfulness toward others. But also, again, exercising, applying common sense. There was a, a fellow, and he joined the Coast Guard, and at the survival training of the Coast Guard boot camp, everybody was asked at one point to jump off a 30-foot platform into a swimming pool. This one fellow got to the edge, looked down, and immediately backed off. He had a fear of heights, and so the drill instructor immediately got on his case, was scolding him, and in the course said, what would you do if you had to abandon a burning, sinking ship? And eyeing the water below, that recruit said, I'd wait until the ship sank a little lower before jumping. (laughs) (laughs) This is common sense. (laughs) So, applying common sense is a way to cultivate intuition. Second way is daily introspection and analysis. By learning from, through our experiences. But Gurdjie says wisdom is learning also through the experiences of others. So that daily introspection and analysis. What could we have done different? And what worked? What didn't work? Learning from our experiences, it's, there's a saying, a wise man becomes wise by watching what happens to him when he isn't. And there was, there's a story of a mountaineer who was famous for his wisdom. And his little nephew asked him, how did you get to be so wise? And he said, oh, it wasn't hard. I've got good judgment. Good judgment comes from experience. And experience, well, that comes from having bad judgment. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. If we spend time in that daily introspection and analysis, we can learn from that, and through that process, be expanding our soul intuition. The next one relates to that semi-developed intuition. Depth of thought and continued activity in one direction. Cultivating concentration, cultivating mind control through continued, prolonged concentration in one direction. And again, it could be a business discipline, it could be meditation, it could be learning music, language, whatever. But just we're learning mind control and that um, 
helps eliminate restlessness, creates calmness, and in that calmness grows intuition. Because that is the fourth way: consciously cultivating calmness. And we can do it during, throughout the day. That daily introspection could be minute-to-minute introspection, and we find our emotions getting out of control. Do some breathing. Do an affirmation. Whatever it takes, get our calmness back. But anything that leads to greater calmness, and nothing's more powerful than meditation, that will help us cultivate, develop greater intuition. Paramahansa said, "Whenever you want to know something, go and retire within and concentrate. When the mind is receptive, then bring in the data. Start the business or mental solution. Don't be filled with discouragement. Say it cannot be done." The world starts with books and outside methods. You should start by increasing the receptivity of your intuition, for within you lies the infinite seat of all knowledge, truth. And the fifth method is meditation. It is the most powerful method of all, but not just meditation. Paramahansaji stresses: after meditation, hold on to the. Peaceful aftereffects of meditation and bring those into all our activities. What we learn in meditation, apply in activity, and that again we could use every minute of our lives in our search for God, and we can use every minute to cultivate greater intuition by bringing those peaceful aftereffects of meditation into our activity. He said, Paramahansaji, whenever you want to solve a problem intuitively, first go into deep meditation or silence. As you have been taught in the lessons, don't think of your problems during meditation. Meditate until you feel that a sense of calmness fills the inner recesses of your body, until a divine happiness fills the inner recesses of the soul, and breath becomes calm and quiet. Then concentrate simultaneously at the point between the eyebrows, Christ Consciousness Center, and the heart. Lastly, ask God to direct your intuition, so that you may know what you should do about your problems. And a sixth way He gives to cultivate, develop intuition is try to live all your waking moments consciously listening to the inner voice of intuition, asking without ceasing, "Divine Mother, what do you want said in this instance? What do you want done in this instance?" And as always, he says, start with small things, listening to that voice, and build up to bigger and bigger things. But it's always important to remember, in this world of relativity, of duality, even when we intuitively perceive truth and apply it, things may not always go smoothly and comfortably. That's just the nature of delusion. But they will be in tune with Dharma if we're following that intuition. They will be in tune with truth, and a manifestation again of intuition is knowing what to do, and at the right time, what to do, how to do it at the right time. In everyday living, truth is a consciousness that is guided by spiritual wisdom, guided by truth, which propels us to do certain things, not because anybody tells us to do it, but because we know intuitively, know. It is the right thing to do. Guruji says that's the highest way to live. Not, we have the amas and niyamas. We build that foundation, create that habit. But ultimately, we don't do things just because we know we've been told to do it. That's the right thing. 
ultimately, we can do things because we intuitively know it's the right thing to do at this moment. That's the highest way to live. Guruji said in Divine Romance, spiritual consciousness means the use of super wisdom, truth, to do the things that supremely benefit yourself and others. Dwell on that thought. It includes selfless service to others, right behavior, adherence to hygienic and all other laws of life, and a harmonious performance of all your duties, material and spiritual, without allowing one duty to contradict another. Spiritual consciousness is a perfect internal expression of truth that manifests as a balanced, harmonious life, giving you true happiness, which you in turn share with others. It includes selfless service, as we've already touched on. But that's such a beautiful statement. Spiritual consciousness is a perfect internal expression of truth that manifests as a balanced, harmonious life giving you true happiness, which you in turn share with others. In, in this world, God has no body. And so God depends on us being in tune through intuition to serve as hands and feet to serve others unselfishly. In an autobiography, Gurdjie quotes that psalm, Be still and know that I am God. Then says, Never flaunting her omnipresence, Divine Mother is heard only in the immaculate silences. Reverberating throughout the universe as the creative own vibration, the primal sound instantly translates itself into intelligible words for the, for the devotee in attunement. So sometimes it's a feeling, intuition. Sometimes it's a hunch. But it can manifest as words. And if it leads to, again, selfless service, following the laws of God's cosmic creation and so forth, we can benefit ourselves, but we can uplift mankind, serve as God's hands and feet. And I wanted to share a story. It was so beautiful. There was a fellow, his name was Art Baudry, and he taught origami, the ancient Japanese art of paper folding, at a learning institute in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And there was going to be a big art convention, art show, in Milwaukee, and he was asked to represent the learning institute. And so he decided he would create, fold a couple hundred um, origami cranes, birds, um, to give out to all those who came by the booth, who asked questions, were interested in the origami. And so for a couple weeks, every day, he'd fold a dozen or more of these cranes. So he had a couple hundred the day before the event. But the day before the event, and this was the first time it ever happened in his life, he's folding these paper cranes, and all of a sudden a voice told him to find a gold foil piece of paper and make a gold origami crane. And at first, you know, he resisted. He, goes, he didn't know what it was. He thought it was just his imagination. And it didn't make a lot of sense uh, that gold foil would not be a nice paper to use for origami. It doesn't, not near as easy to fold as that specialty origami paper he had. But he said the voice was so insistent, all of a sudden he's looking through all his supplies, and eventually he finds one 
flat, shiny piece of gold foil paper. And then, again, he has these doubts. He goes, why am I doing this? And he'd never worked with gold foil or foil paper at all in origami. It's, it doesn't fold as easily or as crisply and neatly as the paper. But that little voice kept nudging him. And he resisted and said, why gold foil paper anyway, in his mind? Why gold foil paper? Paper is much easier to work with. But that voice said, do it. <laughs> and you must give it away tomorrow to a special person. <laughs> he goes, what special person? And the voice said, you'll know which one. <laughs> so he was filled with doubts, but he did it. That night, he worked long and hard and meticulously and used that very difficult foil paper and created this beautiful golden crane, as beautiful as a real crane ready for flight. And he packed it in with the couple hundred other paper origami cranes, took it to the event, and he gave out dozens and dozens and dozens of these paper cranes, and he was demonstrating how to do it. He was folding and unfolding and refolding. He was answering questions. And then eventually, uh, he looked up during one of his demonstrations, and there was a woman. He'd never seen this woman before. She hadn't said anything, she didn't say anything, but his first thought, a special person. And so he was folding away, and, but that intuition that this is the special person was so strong that without even knowing it, without a conscious thought, his hands are in the box, he's looking for that gold foil crane. And he finds it, and he hands it to the woman, places it in her hand, and she holds it like it's a real baby crane and says to her, I don't know why, but there's a very loud voice inside me telling me I'm supposed to give you this golden crane. And then he explained that the crane is an ancient symbol of peace. Then he went back and he's demonstrating, answering questions about the details of origami, the necessity of sharp creases and so forth. And he looks up, that woman's still there and her eyes are filled with tears. And eventually, she's just holding that crane. She takes a deep breath. And she says, my husband died three weeks ago. This is the first time I've been out. She said, today? And then she stopped. Tears are running down her face. She gets her composure back. She says, today is our golden wedding anniversary. And then she said, thank you for this beautiful gift. Now I know that my husband is at peace. Don't you see? The voice you heard, it's the voice of God. And this beautiful crane is a gift from him. It's the most wonderful 50th wedding anniversary present I could have received. Thank you for listening to your heart. So these are ways to actively listen to that voice and start with small things, but apply it. And this is how we can serve as God's hands and feet, which Divine Mother needs us to do to benefit ourselves and to benefit mankind. So again, cultivating, listening to this tiny voice in the beginning, but then acting on it. This is a way we can cultivate that intuition through which we will eventually realize, experience, know truth in exact correspondence with truth. So I'd just like to close with these words from Paramahansa Ji, 
from, again, that chapter 3 in Divine Romance. He said, if you can just remember and apply the truths I have told you, there is nothing you cannot accomplish in life. And the greatest of all achievements is to find God. By the application of science and religion, your uncertain belief in spiritual possibilities can become realization of their highest fulfillment. Then you will be the most successful of all human beings, greater than all the scientists on earth. The great ones who have discovered God never live in doubt. They experience the truth. Then he quotes again the Bible. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And Paramahansa concludes and says, You have everything when you have found God. So let us now sit for a couple minutes in meditation and let us pray for others, for all those in need, healing of the body, mind, and soul. And let us pray for world peace and harmony. Then we'll stand and practice the healing service. Please stand for the healing service. Please pray after me. Divine Mother, Thou art omnipresent. Thou art in all Thy children. Manifest Thy healing presence in their bodies, minds, and souls. Let's raise our arms and chant Om for the healing of the body. Om for the healing of the mind. Om for the healing of the soul. Channel once more for world peace and harmony. Oh. 
fold our hands and conclude with a prayer. Heavenly Father, Mother, Friend, Beloved God, Great Gurus, Saints of all religions, we bow to you all. Divine Mother, open our hearts and minds that we may be receptive to the full inflow of thy truth, of thy wisdom. Fill our hearts with thy love and help us to share that love with all who cross our path. Om Shanti Shanti Amen